Hello, everybody. It's that time of the week. It's time for Inside EMS, and I'm your host, Kelly Grayson. Our co-host, my partner in crime, Chris Ceballero, is off on secret assignment somewhere, and our international correspondent, Rob Lawrence, is available doing international correspondent things. But I have a couple of great guests this week. Uh, Nancy McGee, volunteer EMS consultant, guru, rural EMS guru and advocate, uh, and Rom Duckworth, captain at Ridgefield Fire Department in Connecticut and board member of the National Association of EMTs. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for having Kelly. us. Awesome. Awesome. Look, I we've got a uh I want to pick your brains about something uh that went on last week. Uh you guys have heard me say multiple times that I'm a, I'm a bit of a cynic where EMS week and EMS uh on the hill is concerned. Uh I've I've said many times that uh rather than have a, a week to advocate for EMS during the year and the, the third week in May that we should uh we should be zealously advocating for EMS the other 51 weeks of the year and spend the third week in May on a beach somewhere drinking something with an umbrella in it. Uh, and I've had my doubts about what EMS on the Hill actually accomplishes every day other than give uh, some some politicians, and we know how I feel about politicians, uh, the opportunity to a fo- for a photo op, and then they can ignore us the other 364 days of the year. But I want you to tone my cynicism down and tell me from a boots boots, uh, on the ground perspective of what EMS on the Hill was like. uh, And and I want to get your your thoughts on it. So um, uh, first, we'll start with Ron. Ron, what was your involvement in in EMS on the Hill? How did you get invited as a, is it a delegate or a representative? What What do you call yourselves? Yeah, uh, a representative, really. And it it was something that I was aware of before, um, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't until I um, wound up uh, involved as a board of director, member of the board of directors for NAEMT. uh, Mm -hmm. And part of that assignment was being on the advocacy committee. And the advocacy committee sounds innocent enough, but is really about Exactly this kind of thing, yeah. EMS-related legislation. Well, see, you knew. I didn't know. They didn't tell me until I got the job, and all of a sudden, I was I was doing it. And well, so usually, my... you don't get that until you don't show up for a meeting, and that's that's when you get that kind of assignment. <laughs> you would think, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so this was my uh, advocacy committee was my introduction to. EMS legislation, really. And luckily, there were a lot of people who were, have been really into it for a number of years. And I asked a lot of the same questions that you're asking. But I got to say, bottom line, the EMS on the Hill experience was was great. And some parts of it were a little bit frustrating. But uh, I feel like we were we were fighting the good fight overall. And I think mm-hmm. it was a learning experience for me. And I think for a lot of uh, eye-opening experience for a lot of the other people who were down there trying to fight for a little bit more money, a little bit more protection and a little bit more rights for EMS providers. I got you. I got you, Nancy. Um, now I, there was a little bit of, uh, of, um, um, I won't say disagreement or, or confusion as to which state you were with, right? Uh, how, how did you become uh, involved in, in EMS on the Hill this year? Well, when I work with volunteer agencies, I'm, I'm a real believer in, uh, the power of associations. So whether it's your state association, national association, whatever you think of them, there's power 
in, in numbers, obviously. So oh, yeah. I recommend to volunteer associations that they provide memberships to their state associations and usually to the National Volunteer Fire Council and the NAEMT because it gives them some kind of insight into the fact that they are part of something that's much, much bigger than their little corner of the world and that there are um, there are some benefits, you know, for them individually and try and make that relevant. But then, I, you know, I look at what the NAEMT is doing because I'm kind of selling their product and I want to yeah. make sure that I am doing the right thing and I want it to kind of show up and say, okay, you know, I'm going to walk the talk. I'm going to show up. I'm going to see what's being said, how it's being said, and who exactly is being represented at this meeting. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about rural EMS. But if you look at the big players, a lot of times who shows up? IAFF, um, a lot of the, the big players, big association names. And I wonder, you know, how that gets back to the little North Dakota ambulance service. Yeah. How does it how does it trickle down okay. to to the squads and the individual mm-hmm. members of those squads? So that was your your outlook, your perspective right. on it. You wanted a, yep. a kind of a insider's view on that. I, yeah, I was there on my own, on my own dime. I I, I kind of went back and forth on that because it's not a cheap pro- proposition. Dedication. Just, hey, just well, I think you have to walk the talk. You know, if I'm going to yeah. be someone people come to to provide answers, I need to go find out what they are. Okay. Um, now, did. Uh, uh, I hear the Connecticut and the Louisiana delegations were fighting over you. She's with us. No, no, she's with us. How that? How uh, that? No, actually, there? I wasn't sure how it worked either. And um, oh, was it? No, she's with you. Clear, clearly, <laughs> what, when you're talking to politicians, they want their voters in front of them. This is true. So my my business address, as you know, um, and and you know, is in Louisiana. Office, yeah, Louisiana. But I have for the past year been working out of Connecticut and representing Connecticut. EMS. And in fact, my roommate was the president of the Volunteer Association of uh, New Jersey, Paula Weiler. So, you know, I, you know, was paying attention to what was happening in New Jersey, too. So because I I work with volunteers all around the country, it kind of put me in a weird spot. Hmm. But then they Um, put me in Connecticut because that is my current. This is true. This is where your current residence. Rom, how was how was the event structured? I mean, what when when you go as a as a representative uh, for your state or for your your squad or agency to EMS on the Hill, how do they put you guys to use? They give you a set of marching orders and appointments to meet with certain politicians. I mean, what does a what does a representative do? Yeah, that's more or less what it is. It, it's um, it's busy and hectic. But I felt like it was really well organized. They they really made it very clear as much as they could, because uh, I, I think it'd be no surprise to anybody that when you get down to D.C. and you're trying to talk to the politicians and their staffers, you know, everybody's busy. Everybody's in meetings. They're getting pulled in 10 different directions. We're not the only people there. And things can be dynamic. You may wind up meeting and talking in hallways. But I felt like they kept us really informed, really prepared um, with uh, materials ahead of time. Um, they gave us a, a, a briefing and then explained everything several times. We had a chance to ask questions and more or less what it is, um, they want you to be able to talk to your politicians um, that uh, from where you live and from where you work. And there are some what they call legislative priorities, meaning like, look, we, we, we can't go in and just go, gimme, gimme, gimme. We have to be really specific preferably with bills that are in front of those lawmakers so that they can, you know, hey, here's the bill. We would like you to support it. 
And here's why. Here's how it's going to affect yeah. people in in that you're representing. And that's why, you know, we're connected with specific politicians. But also here's how it's going to help the EMS infrastructure in the whole country as well. So uh, they, they make that pretty clear for us, you know, what what we're shooting for so that we don't, um, you know, we don't sort of muddy the waters. We, we got to leave them with a clear message if we expect yes. them to do anything. Were, were any were any topics or subjects uh, verboten? Uh, said, don't talk about these things. Uh, anyone give you the talk like my mother used to give to me before she took me out in public? I, I didn't really get any of that. Did, did you, Nancy? It was. I mean, it was really more, let's stay focused rather than don't talk yeah. about this. There were some questions. Um, we had a meeting the night before about how this was all going to go down. And there were clearly some people who did have some issues um and and some agendas that they wanted to know i'm not sure if they wanted NAMT to answer them or they wanted to know if they could bring that up and they were kind of steered back to you know we only have a limited amount of time we already have this legislature written we just want you to go in there and and um and lobby for it essentially that's what that's what you're there for so not dismissing other concerns but you know you can't do everything all at once you can't make everybody happy so i would say that for people um, and, and myself included, because I have certain things that I would like to see, you know, um, get put in front of our uh, our local uh, government and our and our federal government uh, legislators. But you can only, you know, kill so many birds, yeah. you know, whatever I'm trying to say, <laughs> you can only try <laughs> and accomplish so much at one time. And the voice yeah. has to be united behind that. So you have to keep your personal issues, your personal politics out of the out of the whole thing. I think I said to Ram. um while we were sitting there listening to a few people that, you know, everybody needs to understand management 101 is if you want it, the best way to get honey is not to kick over the beehive. So, sure. you know, um, I think, I think there was some of that. Yeah. One other thing that, that goes, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. Wrong. Uh, one of the thing that went along with that though, is, is outside of EMS on the Hill day, that NAEMT has a legislative service, so through the NAEMT, they make it really easy to get a hold of your local legislators and, you know, your representatives in the House of Representatives, your senator, the contact information, the staff information. So, uh, again, I, at least I didn't feel like, hey, this is forbidden. It was more like, look, when we're out there, we're trying to give a unified message. And for once, really have EMS speak with one voice across the whole nation's capital today. But that isn't to say that if you have these other concerns or specific yeah. stuff that, that, you know, the NAMT is still trying to make it easy for you to connect with those people. And you're certainly allowed to voice those concerns and, and are encouraged to do so. They, they try to facilitate it. It's just on this one day, we got like five things we're trying to hit. So let's hit them hard yeah. and try and get it done. Yeah, it's, you know, we, we all know how EMS loves to eat its own young. So I would imagine that, that maintaining consistent messaging, uh, between delegates from 50 states is, is a lot like herding cats, uh, when it comes to EMS people. Um, and, and I don't envy the task of keeping them, keeping the, the whole thing from devolving into a bunch of incompetent whining and, and, and pushing competing interests. So. Of the things that the legislative agenda that that uh, that you guys were advocating for, how do you think it went? And and specifically, what were we, what were we pushing for? Um, what was uh, NAEMT advocating for with our our elected representatives? Either one of y'all can take that. 
you can go first one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, I think the the there were a number, um, but I think um, the big one was supporting the uh, the Siren Act. Uh, and trying to get more money on the Siren Act. And for those of you like myself who are not intimately familiar with it, Siren Act um, helps fund rural EMS and rural health care. So oh, yeah. the, the places that are sort of the, the burdened with the, the most readiness costs, because they still got to have an ambulance ready, even if they're not doing yeah. a lot of calls and probably, you know, the, the least revenue. So that was, that was the number one, you know, in in terms of big need is, is uh, it's been working. We need it reauthorized and we're trying to bump up the money on it. I got you. And, and Nancy, I would imagine that the, the components and and the benefits of the Siren Act would be near and dear to, to uh, your passion, uh, which is rural and volunteer EMS. What else did you guys discuss? Well, just on that note, no, you know, obviously, when I looked at this again, I said there were it raised kind of as many questions as an answer when I looked at, yeah. at the agenda and things that like the Siren Act. And I say, and also the you know, $50 million additional, you know, that we're looking for. I thought, how again, how where's this money going to go? Is it going to go to the one big gun, you know, ambulance service yeah. in, in these rural areas that knows how to access those that grant money? That's my concern. But there's also $5 million in funding to support um, EMS agencies in, in, in obtaining grants. So I'm not sure how that's going to roll out. But what I, I felt much better when I saw that in there. So that, that was a component in it. Um, and so they're, then they're devoting $5 million to, to aid in grant writing? In the process of uh, to awesome. teach uh, EMS HC, yes. So that's awesome. that's really really important and making uh, themselves self sufficient and and correct. and able to better utilize uh, uh, utilize those right. government funds. Because I, I can tell you that it's a running issue in little tiny towns. Now you know when we look at the United States, the uh, there's like eighteen thousand something agencies I think that are certified in the United States. The average call volume is under 2,500, maybe significantly less than that. And some of the people that were there for, I recognize from some of the really frontier states where these agencies are doing like 50 or 80 calls a year. Uh, There's no possible way that they are going to have the income to even buy a new stretcher, you know, so what the siren act does is it provides funding for whatever they need. It could be stretchers. It could be training. It could be, it's pretty opened up, you know, for them, but they need to know how, to access it so the like i said the big guy that's that's making the most money that has a grant writer on staff you know a commercial company or or even a municipal agency isn't going to be able to just be the only ones that can allocate that money get yeah. get access to that money yeah you know i know that your your passion has always been rural and voluntary ms and i i keep coming back to the lady in north dakota who who came up to us after after one of your talks and and how long has she been in EMS? 30 years and, and had the opportunity to be lead EMT 11 times or something like yeah. that. And, yeah, and she reaching... started in like 1986, I think. Yeah. And, and that was like 2017. Yeah, and, and reaching reaching those people, uh, uh, that's the kind of, of, of EMS providers that fall through the cracks, quite frankly. And, mm-hmm. and, and they're often the only resource for the communities that they serve. Um, so, but, but on the flip side of that coin, Nancy, you told me about a, uh, an encounter you had with someone in Connecticut, uh, um, an EMT that was, was absolutely, uh, clueless about what it is that you were, you guys were doing. Tell tell us about that. It wasn't Connecticut. I, I, the next day after, before I left, I went to Arlington being a military. Oh, oh, it was in Washington. It was in Washington, D.C. 
Um, I, I was at, at the hop on hop off bus at Arlington Cemetery, and the only seat left was next to a lady who was wearing a she had a backpack that said with a star life on it and paramedic on her shirt. And I said, "Oh, are you here because of EMS on the hill?" And she looked at me like I was like I had, she had no idea what I was talking about. And she said, "No." And I said, um, "She she made some kind of comment that clearly she didn't know what I was talking about." And uh, I said, "I I thought maybe you were here, you know, sightseeing like I am. I was here for the." The legislative day for EMS. And she said, no, I'm just here with a group touring. And she had no idea what I was talking about. And she was actually in Washington. So, you know, uh, you know I, I hate to, to say, I hate to speculate how, how common that is, but how common do you think that is? I, I know the answer and it's depressing to me, but uh, you think that's a, that lady's an anomaly or she represents a whole lot of EMS? Well, who's who is there? I mean, look at we we were at a table. Ram and I, being from Connecticut, Ram's there with NAEMT. I'm there on my own. We actually had a very very um, bright young man with us whose dad is uh, a pretty um, high profile figure in Connecticut EMS, uh, Jack Holdsworth, and he was okay. very knowledgeable. I, I I think he's going to get a master's degree in is it public health administration? I, I could be wrong on that, but yeah, but and, and communication, yeah. Yeah, and he's an EMT, and his uh, his dad's a longtime paramedic. His brother's a paramedic, so very, very well versed. And he did a great job talking about um, when when he was with us, talking about as a paid provider in a, in a hybrid agent, small private agency does about seven hundred calls a year. How part of his job was baking brownies and cookies to to provide you know provide extra yeah. income for the that was part of his actual job description. So wow. he did a great, he was very powerful and that. He did a great job uh, speaking just exactly what you want to see coming up through the ranks as young, knowledgeable people like that. You know, we really, really need to work on getting more of them into the field, you know, um, as providers. But um, yeah, I would say that virtually nobody that I speak to um, on the ground level has an awareness. I, I was at a trauma symposium uh, at Hartford Hospital a couple of weeks ago and nobody I, I asked people, who's going? Is anybody going from your agency? Nobody knew. Nobody knew anything about it. And this was, you know, people that can go to a, a, a symposium midweek tend to be people who are invested, you know, yeah. in EMS. So, yeah. Rom, what, what's been your experiences? Uh, are, are those people an anomaly or, or uh, do you meet a, a great number of EMTs who are blissfully unaware of every, anything that's going on outside their ambulance or their agency? No, absolutely. And, and, you know, I don't completely blame them because we're, you know, we're a profession in crisis and it's all that we can do to keep warm bodies on the ambulances, keep the wheels on the ambulances turning. And, and, you know, so many people, and and you know how it is, it's that, that 80, 20 rule, right? It's like the 20% of people in any organization are the ones and, they're doing the bake sale and they're trying to yeah. promote the place and they're trying to learn. I mean, I, I consider myself, you know, n- no dope. And I've been doing this for quite some time and, and get a chance to see EMS in different parts of the country. And, yeah. and this was still, I, the people ask, you know, like, well, well, did you feel like you got down there and taught the legislators? And I'm like, well, we did manage to get some messages through to them but I learned a ton, too. And one of the things I learned that we tried to make clear was 
even for a lot of the legislation that's out there that say, you know, healthcare legislation, we need more healthcare providers in the U.S. and, and we're going to pass bipartisan uh, legislation to help fund people who want to get into healthcare. Great. Sounds good. And the intention is that, of course, EMS is going to be part of that. But because EMS, you know, depends on who you ask or the time of day, we could be public safety. We could yeah. be public health. We could be clinical health care. And of course, when it comes to the money, everybody says, oh, well, they're not in they're not in our channel. Well, they're public health. So we're, we're hospitals. Yeah. So we'll take the health care you know, money to for, for training. But EMS is going to have to find it. I'm pretty sure they're all firefighters anyway. They don't they have firefighter grants and the firefighters are like, no, we're yeah. taking the fire grants because we got to buy mm -hmm. fire stuff. Do you we're assuming they get clinical or public health. And yeah. And so that was one of the things I learned that we tried to articulate very clearly, you know, uh, and, and, and like Nancy said, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be on their side, especially when we go in and, and some of them are very strong advocates for EMS and for, for health care. And we're like, hey, we want to help you help us. Please make sure that the legislation ha it specifies EMS. So this money is able to get to yeah. EMS and we don't see it behind a glass wall that it's supposed clearly supposed to be accessible um, to EMS agencies. But it just isn't because of the way you worded the grant. Yeah. Do, do you think that's part of what handicaps us as a profession is that we're we're neither fish nor fowl nor good red meat? Uh, we don't fit any particular definition. Yeah, I think I it's think because there's a part of what we do that's all of those, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and again, we could, we could, the three of us could certainly debate as to where it should primarily be or like where our home should be. But we just, we're, we're an integral part of the infrastructure of all three yeah. parts of those. And, and that's what we're trying to let them know is, hey, you know, we, when we kick the can down the road with the, with money and funding, and now the can went off the cliff. And, yeah. and this infrastructure that you're relying on for public health and for, for clinical health care in rural agencies and stricken urban areas and public safety and all of this, there's nothing there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of conversations Chris and I have had multiple times talking about advocacy and why so many of our, our brethren seem to be ignorant of, of the the goings on outside their agency and and uh i pointed out to him that you know when you're precariously clinging to the lower rungs on maslow's hierarchy still worried about food and shelter uh and and having to work two or three jobs to do it it's uh it's hard to reach that that level of self-actualization where you can turn your attention outward toward your profession and your role in it uh and that's something that that sometimes i have to remind myself that we are uh uh, that I'm kind of uh, blessed in that regard is that I'm secure enough that I can actually think about something beyond uh, my next paycheck. Um, I'm going to say, uh, I still need my next paycheck. Uh, so, <laughs> so, um, but uh, I'd like to know, uh, Nancy, what do you think? Uh, do you think we were, we were effective? Do you think we got our message across uh, to the legislatures, uh, legislators that you, uh, you met with and, and encountered? Well, I, I think, um, and I think Brian would probably agree with me that being Connecticut, um, you know, I hate to say it, but um, it's a, it's a democratic state. They're very involved in social services. They don't mm -hmm. really balk at spending money. Um, whether you like that or not, it was an easier lift for us than it might have been for some people from other yeah. from other areas. And yeah. I would say that 
Um, we spoke to the legislator, the legislators' assistants, you know, and that most of them have been there for a while, and they have they're very well schooled, and nothing was really new to them. They did ask some good questions. Um, we were able to, you know, put like uh, kind of like a face to the story, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was the most helpful part of it. But the fact of the matter is the world is run by the people who show up, you know, and decisions yeah. are made by the people who show up. And people much smarter than me have said that long before I did. So I'm not claiming that. But yeah. that's just the fact of life. Yeah. So I'm not sure um, how we get that to the to the field. And I'm wondering if if some of this money shouldn't be. Um, actually spent on people whose job it is to go out in the field and make people aware of this and say, how can we, yeah. now that we know you're here, how can we help you get this done instead of them sitting there waiting for somebody, you know, a Hail Mary, that, you know, and trying to figure it out yeah. by themselves. Yeah. And it's, you know, we, we, we hear from our, our representatives and our large advocacy agencies like NAEMT and, and AAA and NAMC and, and, and that sort of thing. I, but uh, I'm I'm grateful to have a uh, a grunt's eye view uh, through your eyes of what EMS on the Hill was like. And I'm I'm uh, I'm actually heartened that you guys found it an educational experience and, and a positive one. Uh, what I'm interested in is is what didn't you talk about this time? Do you think now? I know we, we can't predict what legislation is going to be uh, um, being heard at the next EMS on the Hill. But what are the the issues in EMS you think we need to really push to our elected representatives in the future? If you if if it were uh, uh, your legion of flying monkeys completed your quest for world domination, what would you change or what would you bring to the attention of our elected leaders? Rom, you can go first. All right. Well, for me, it was something that that we did bring up, but there was no specific legislation attached to it. So I hate to say it, we weren't going to get a lot of movement on it right now. But, but you, you put know, it in their eye. You put it in, put their, it in, their, in their field of view. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's treatment in place and transport to uh, alternate destinations. So, I mean, we, we know and, and it's funny because we're all busy doing stuff. And I think, you don't we don't think about it too much, but we all know how EMS started, where they, they weren't sure. They knew that we needed to do something to stop blood from flowing red on yeah. the highway. So we got yeah. thrown under Department of Transportation when the whole thing really started up. And so we got paid to, as they were making it up as they went along, well, we'll pay you to transport somebody yeah. because there's an ambulance and you transport, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's the best we could do. Welcome to the early 70s. But we've come so far from there and everybody know it's wrong. Everybody knows that not every patient needs to go to the hospital. Uh, they or if they do, they don't need to go yeah. by ambulance. Or sometimes they don't need to go anywhere at all. The best place is you know what we might be able to do. But there's no way to make that sustainable or whatever word you want to use. So so we kept we did bring that up, but we brought it up more like you say, Kelly is is just to say hey be aware of this. We don't even have any very specific suggested answers, but this is a fundamental underlying problem about the way we set up EMS in this yeah. country. And we have to fix it because it's wrong for the health systems. It's wrong for the ambulance and the people in it. It's wrong for the patient. It costs everybody money. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's our future. And uh, uh, we need our, our elected representatives to be aware of what's coming. Uh, and what needs to come. Nancy, how about you? Um, what do you I, think I needs, we that. need to focus on? I, I think especially with what Ron uh, was saying, when we have so, a situation where uh, there is, 
what with the pandemic where there were waivers, a lot of things happened that allowed EMTs to go beyond what their state mm-hmm. scope of practice was, what other practices were. And, and we proved the, we could the do bodies it. Didn't, the bodies didn't stack up. That's and right. EMS is really held held uh, up by but, 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 and whatabouts and all that kind of nonsense. So when we have a proven product that works, the fact that we would go backwards because there's a date on it that says, yeah. okay, you know, that just seems absolutely ridiculous so yeah. that's as ems we have to go and why that's a legislative thing i don't know either but in terms of that's a whole nother ball game um so th- that is something that i think um is is really important the other thing i think the big elephant in the room that we have to look forward to is that when we talk about fee for you know pay for transport that is just gotta stop it has to be uh it has to be the price of care and while we looked one of the things we also asked the asked for was the continuation of uh with the medicaid medicare um add-ons while they figure out the new medicare reimbursement rates and i'll tell you what if they get actual numbers it's it's going to blow them out of the water and it's not going to happen there's no way they're going to quadruple the rate of medicare payments so then what happens so we have to look at that not being that just can't be the answer and a big part of that is not taking people to the most expensive uh, place to take care in the first place. Which so it's all department. it's all yeah. tied together, and all that leads into staffing staffing shortages, um, hospitals being backed up. That that whole cycle could be corrected based on what we've learned in the last couple of years. Yeah, how many how many rank and file EMTs do you think are aware that Medicare reimburses about thirty percent less than the cost of, of providing the care? And that we've been making up that stopgap since the Clinton administration with uh, with yearly bills to 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 fund that stopgap. How, how many uh, do you, do you think mostly people in EMS are even aware of how precarious our our funding model is? I no, I think it's all kick the can down the road for the most part. Yeah. I mean, even even um, large agencies, you know, commercial agencies that are watching every dime, that they have some concept or they have some people in their in their organization but the rest of them just there to do their job it's the bean counters are not their problem as far as they're concerned but it's all tied into um benefits and and pay scales and and everything else you know depends on the amount of money that that comes in and also that data if we want ems to be an essential service you know people think you know we get all that that whine like you said whining and complaining and poor us and rodney dangerfield and the real answer is it's an unfunded mandate and until we have the actual data that says, what is EMS going to cost? Realistically, the real numbers, how are we going to ask for that? Because we're not telling, they can't yeah. have an unfunded mandate. Yeah. Well, guys, it was a great discussion we had today. And uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for both of you uh, appearing on the show. Uh, as you said, Nancy, uh, history is made uh, by, by the people who show up. And, and I'm glad you two guys were sh- uh, showed up to represent our interests. Um, why don't you tell, each of you tell a, uh, Tell our, our listeners and viewers uh, how they can find you on the web, how they can contact you, and and uh, where you may be next. Rom, you go first, and then we'll let Nancy go. All right. Um, well, That's my so sexist of me. I don't know why. Just let <laughs> Rom go first, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, cause, because we're, we're, we're uh, having our strongest batter clean up there. Duh. Oh, you're slick. You're slick. <laughs> uh well, my parents named me Rami Duckworth, so I'm, I'm the only thing that's going to show up if you Google that. But you go to <laughs> romduck.com uh, or I'm romduck at gmail.com if you want to email me, whether it's about stuff like this or about education stuff. Or uh, like I say, I'm, I'm, I find myself on the NAEM 
see board of directors. And uh, so if you, you want to be more informed about what NAEMT does or uh, more stuff like this, like EMS on the Hill, uh, if, it's, if it's something I know about, I'm, I'm happy to answer. If it's something I don't gotcha. know about, we'll learn together. Gotcha. What, what conference are you going to be at next? Uh, uh, April, I'm going around to next week. I'm in Alaska and then I'm in Indianapolis for FDIC. And then I'm in New Mexico for their region three conference. Busy man, busy, busy man. Um, you know, if you, if you ever get a chance to see Rom Duckworth, uh, in person lecturing, uh, they'll save you a seat, but you'll only need the edge. Uh, Nancy. <laughs> um, you can, find, you can contact me at Nancy at medicsolutions.org. Or you can find me on Facebook at Redesigning Volunteer EMS um, or at Medic Training Solutions with Kelly uh, for educational purposes. And um, currently, I'm working mostly on community engagement with a couple of local agencies. And other than that, I'm looking forward to the fall and the conference circuit there. Well, great, great. Guys, uh, once again, thank you for for being here today and giving us a a boots on the ground view of uh, EMS on the Hill Day. And we hope to catch you again. And for myself, Co-host Chris Ceballero, who's off doing something super secret. And our special guest this week, Nancy McGee and Rom Duckworth. I'm Kelly Grayson, and thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. Thanks, Kelly.